0: Hi, listeners. Jason here. We are excited to finally announce registrations for the biggest psych health and safety community event ever. The inaugural the Psych Health and Safety Conference will be held at the Sofitel Wentworth Sydney, June 19 to 20, 2024, and offer concurrent virtual attendance. It'll feature live podcast recordings with OG researchers, including Christina Maslach and Michael Leiter of Burnout Fame, Psych Health and Safety USA podcast host I. David Daniels. Australian super-experts, including the likes of David Burrows, a special 10-year anniversary integrated approaches to workplace mental health panel with authors Tony LaMontagne, Angela Martin and Cat Page, hand-picked case studies from organisations doing it well and a very special interview with plaintiff Zaggy Kozarov by Catherine Donlop on that High Court case which we previously covered on the podcast. This event will sell out. Get in quick to secure tickets at early bird prices for the two-day conference, pre-conference masterclasses, and the VIP dinner. The first 200 in-person registrations also get a copy of her latest book, The Burnout Challenge, signed by Christina Maslach herself. Find out more and register at www.psychhealthandsafetyconference.com. Now, on to this episode.
1: The goal of an industrial hygienist is to help identify and mitigate hazards that could potentially harm those exposed. We'll talk with an industrial hygienist about the profession and the physical and psychosocial hazards they encounter in both the workplace and the community up next on this episode of the Psych, Health & Safety USA podcast. From DX. this is the Psych, Health & Safety USA podcast. As workplace mental health has become a global priority, there's a greater focus on addressing psychosocial hazards. Each episode, we look at psychological safety from an occupational health and safety perspective. Let's talk psych health and safety. Welcome to this week's Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, as well as advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. So industrial hygiene is the science of identifying, evaluating, and controlling workplace hazards that can impact the health and safety of workers and the community, it's known Also, as occupational hygiene, industrial hygienists use a variety of methods, including environmental monitoring, workplace analysis, and scientific methods. Industrial hygiene standards include proper handling, transportation, and storage of substances and equipment, protective clothing, workplace ergonomics, ventilation design. But what about psychosocial hazards? Uh, I was having a conversation before I came on with my guest about, at least my view, that the uh, folks who go into safety and are safety interested, but they're the smart kids, they become industrial hygienists. So we're going to have a conversation about uh, the profession itself for those who, again, like me, again, I've I've been in safety for a while, and I'm not sure I really understood what an industrial hygienist does, uh, but I'm also interested in the connection between Uh, The general hazards that uh, an industrial hygienist would take a look at and, you know, the feelings about psychological health and safety and psychosocial hazards and such. So I thought I'd reach out to a a real industrial hygienist. So uh, to get uh, started, uh, I'd like to get an introduction of my guest by my guest with this question. So who is Trinell Bogans?
2: Thank you, Dr. Daniels. First, I do want to start off with saying I'm very honored to be here. Uh, this is a great opportunity, and I'm very excited. Um, who am I? I often ask myself that a lot day to day. I'm a, a industrial hygienist, I'd like to say, in my sophomore era. I'm not m- so much of a freshman. I've been working in the industry for about six years now. Um, I was able to obtain uh, my certification, CIH, CSB. Um, and, and really, I'm very interested in the industry and and trying to learn more get with more seniored um ihs to figure out what i haven't seen yet and where i can get that experience Um, graduated from usf university of south florida in 2018 with my masters in public health and that's when i hit the ground running uh, with consulting in industrial hygiene and um, that's really where i got a good sense of what we do as industrial hygienists and And the view we take uh, when we approach some of these occupational situations and evaluate hazards. Um, uh, Again, just a a budding IH that is really excited and ecstatic to learn more, see more, do more, if you will. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I. I, uh, It's always nice to get the breadth and depth of a profession. I, I. I think it's probably common for folks to go out and look for the person who's been doing something for 30 or 40 years and try to have them express their, their wisdom and knowledge that they have about whatever. And and that's important. I mean, I I, I get it. Uh, but I'm also important, I, I also think it's important to understand why people went into something and, and are still kind of new and fresh at it and have a, you know, uh, a, a newer kind of more contemporary perspective on whatever it is that they do. So I, I just enjoy having folks like yourself, who again, who aren't brand new, but they haven't been around for fifty years either. Because I, I, again, I think there's, I think there's some value there. Before we get into that, uh, that depth of conversation about the topic du jour. So, what does psychological health and safety mean to you? To me, I
2: would say that's going to be how an individual feels when they if they go into work and they feel intimidated just by being there or if they feel like they won't be valued or undermined or even discriminated um, at the workplace and it's just they haven't necessarily done anything wrong. They, it's that I think people would feel more comfortable knowing, okay, well, I did something wrong. Okay, maybe that's why I'm having a talking to with my manager as opposed to I just walked in today and my manager is now just upset with me. You know, what did I do? Um, yeah, you know, I have we have spoken before, and and I would say it's it's definitely the intangibles of feeling safe in the workplace and how how comfortable one is with whether it's meetings or just interacting um, in the workplace.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I it's I get very interesting answers to that question. I ask that question to everyone. And more often than not, I what I hear in, in the definitions that people give, you know, again here in a you know country like ours, it doesn't really have laws against uh treating people kind of however they want in the workplace, <laughs> I, I do hear a lot of the, you know, the perspective that what the environment's like when you don't have psychological health and safety. I mean, it's kind of, it's one of those things you kind of know it when you see it and you know something's missing. And I, and I think what this term is now giving us is words for something that I know many of us have experienced at one time or another. I mean, and I, I would suggest and argue that every single solitary human being that's ever been in a workplace has had some challenge, struggle, or issue with the lack of psychological health and safety, particularly in the United States. Because, again, unfortunately, a lot of our workplaces are set up really to be very, very difficult places to be. Uh, There's this belief that working really hard and, you know, enduring is the thing that you're supposed to do, as opposed to, well, does it have to be like that? (laughs) And uh, thankfully, folks are kind of coming around. But Um, So what sparked your interest in industrial hygiene? So, you know, how does a, how how do you, how do you do that? Did you just start, were you a kid and came, how did you, how how did you get in, get get that in your brain?
2: That goes back to my search to get into graduate school. I talked um, with a professor at University of South Florida And he was an industrial hygienist been in the game since like the 70s or 80s and i told him and i was looking kind of be looking to be uh hands-on individual with with obtaining samples and and being kind of at at the source of it all in a sense and uh after we talked for a little bit about an hour he he had suggested you should look into industrial hygiene there's a great program down here at the school Um, i think you'd be a great candidate uh once i got into it i did like the the curriculum the math the science and all that um learn about some of the basics of public health but then also those applications in industrial hygiene um that's what piqued my interest but what really locked me in was once i got done with school and got into the workplace seeing the different kind of working you know it felt like every day um was a my own personal episode of how it's made um getting to see the behind the scenes of i've, I've been to um glass manufacturers they were made. They make um, glass bottles for like uh, Coors Light and all these other kind of brands. And I, was, I just thought it was so neat seeing the molten glass come out and shoot down this thing. And then I'm there doing the heat assessment and noise and all these other. And I didn't even think, you know, mine being out there because it was just like, wow, this is how something so simple and yet so fascinating. Um, and then also applying. Well, OK, these guys are dealing with with glass to be cutting glass. So there's silica cons- considerations. I'm here to do restable silica. And it was just this whole, you know, not explosion, but I would say explosion of opportunities and just applications where I go to another site and it's something completely different. They may be also a glassmaker, but I'm there for another whole other reason to look at a different set of occupational exposures. So it was, it was, it started with a, a very simple conversation that piqued my interest just a little bit, just enough to push that ball over the edge. And it just rolls downhill and snowballs that interest turns into a a habit turned into a profession and here i am you know six years down the road and i'm very happy
1: so so it it sounds like uh, again and i i use that term uh, as you know as 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 one of admiration uh, of the quote-unquote smart kid because because it seems as if there's a really strong connection between industrial hygiene and folks who are really interested in the sciences. Or, or is, would that be accurate to suggest that you got to really be interested in science or, or drawn to science to be interested in industrial hygiene?
2: Yes and no. I, w- I would say it's because during my master's there was a lot of the, the basic science. It built off the basic sciences: uh, chemistry, biology. Um, we learned about the anatomy of the ear um, we learned about um, a few different kind of chemical processes that you know if you if you didn't like chemistry or biology or the sciences to begin with then you probably wouldn't have had any interest to do it in in, in the graduate setting and now because we're applying it in a different way um, we were doing a, a lot of our labs are doing um, articulate measurements and we're we're looking at particle sizes and aerodynamic diameters you mentioned that you know we can, uh, we'll build ventilation systems. Going through ventilation at USF was one of the toughest courses I've ever taken. And if you know, I like I said, I'm, I'm I like the, the sciences enough. Uh, ventilation was one that I was like, I don't know if I like it that much. Um, but it was it was one of those challenging uh, courses that, again, I was I was very excited to kind of keep that in the back of my head. Um, just to say that I know it and it's, it's a great thing. I mean, if I did, ch- I did have a chance, um, at one site to talk about ventilation and I was like, I surprised myself with how much I retained and, and knew. And I was like, oh, I didn't think I still knew that. Um, and so it's, it was, you, it, it is, like I said, that. So on, on the one side, it is, you have to know it and, and kind of like it, but it's not necessary. You can, you can still, you know, you don't have to be a, a STEM lover to, to go into industrial hygiene um when you it, it's something about it when you get into it it'll latch on yeah
1: sure in a good sure. way
2: right and um you know I, I think anybody can do i've seen a lot of folks who uh have a coworker now who does not like math but she's an industrial hygienist and she doesn't mind doing the work we'll go out and i'll train her up and and so you know i, I really Thinking, you know, it's, it can be for everybody. It's just if you like it, then you'll love it. But if not, then you'll probably find something else. But I don't think it'll treat anybody bad.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, and there's another thing that I, I, I heard you mention, and I, I'm still kind of leaning towards a, a, another question, but along the way, uh, I heard you talk about an interest in public health as well, or some studies in public health. So, where's the connection there between industrial hygiene and public health?
2: The USF uh, public health public health was the the main uh, major or degree industrial hygiene was a concentration underneath it but we learned about um, epidemiology biostats and so one thing you know we in industrial hygiene yes we want to look at the the worker uh, in an occupational setting but no there are applications to the public um, we've done there's case studies on uh, Derailments, if you will, when there's a big chemical spill, um, you know, we're not looking at the, the workers who are going there to clean it up. We're going to look at the surrounding community if there is one we will look at. Well, you can set up monitors to to uh, to measure any concentrations of whatever agent was spilled or if it was a chemical. Um, there was a ethylene dioxide leak uh, a few years back that uh, I think that was here in Georgia in the Atlanta area. But there was a lot of buzz about it and i was in consulting at the time and we were getting calls from the public to go out and just set up um some some canisters to pull air and and measure for that so we can quantify the levels of ethylene dioxide in the air in in these surrounding neighborhoods um so you know you gotta have that sense that epidemiology sense of knowing um how do you want to approach this uh it's not just the quantification of the exposure it's just if the wind's blowing westward, we're gonna put some. We're gonna focus our measurements there, and not so much on the, the downwind side. We still put some over there to get a background or um, just something for comparison. But you're gonna want to focus in that area if there's if there's a prominent wind direction. So it, there's definitely applications. It's just it just depends on the the industry or even the 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 opportunity, if you will. So again, it's not just we're dealing with workers yes that's i would say the standard the baseline if you will but we can go into the public settings and deal with um community exposures you just
1: you know when you told that 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 story about the uh you know about the the, the chemical release again it took me back to uh my days uh, i was a hazardous materials responder when i was in the fire rescue service at, so hazmat tech and it, it occurs to me yeah. You would have been the guy, so these firefighters will show up and and you know they're, they're certainly uh, better capable of making those assessments right now than they were you know back in the day when I was doing it, but but we'd have to, we'd go out and we'd have our very simple plume model that was being run by a, a basic computer from somebody, and we'd try to figure it out as best we can, but ultimately, someone like you with the credentials and expertise and real background have to come and kind of validate. You know what we think it's this, Mr. Hygienist. What do you think it is? Uh, to to become the you know to be the 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 person who is kind of, in some some cases kind of the final decision on what we're going to do next based on their uh, their research and expertise. So again, I, I I'm just continuing to you know to to learn more about this just by listening to you. Yeah, yeah. You know?
2: Even even with that, you know, it would be you know we're out there we're going to help set up those. Um, community monitors make sure exposures and levels aren't getting too unsafe and then also we're worried about you guys going in there so we're going to slap a monitor on you and say hey this goes off get out the air and move downwind get to a safe area get to a safe space because sometimes some of these chemicals there is no odor threshold you won't smell it you don't see it only thing you know is well you won't know you just go down and then that's that so <clears throat> um yeah it's 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 a it's a fun industry and. You can see a lot, like I said before. See a lot, do a lot, learn a lot. Um, so,
1: so if someone were to inquire of you, uh, so what's the difference, if you will, between industrial hygiene and occupational safety, or is there a difference in your view?
2: There is, and then there isn't a lot of. Um, so, so I'll sure say there are. is. Um, So where I'm at now, we have our industrial hygiene group and we have our safety group. Uh, One of the safety, one of my coworkers in the safety department came over to me and asked, "Hey, I was down at the site. Some guys were doing some drilling into concrete, and there's some dust. That's not supposed to happen, right?" And I go, "No, well, not necessarily. Uh, Did you have on? Start asking questions. Do you have on any respiratory protection? Um, Since there was dust, that means there wasn't a wet method to keep down the pressure. Because now I'm thinking." silica exposures. Um, Our safety person knew enough to know that something's not right. Um, Where the difference is, so we both recognize that the difference is is that I would be able to go in and quantify, you know, that exposure to compare it then to an OSHA standard, the OSHA silica standard. Um, And I think that would be the biggest difference between the safety professional and industrial hygiene professionals, that we can both recognize and identify workplace hazard. Um, when it comes to evaluating, we may have two two separate methods. Where uh, the safety professional may look at it and say, "Well, he's using a power tool. Does he have the proper PPE on? Safety glasses, maybe some gloves. Um, is the power tool, if it's wired, is that wired, uh, ground faulted? And all these other things. They're so thinking electrical safety. Um, he was in a uh, scissor lift, so does he have on his fall protection? Is he wearing a fall arrest system? Things of that nature. We would kind of go back and forth on that." It came to the question of, okay, well, he's drilling, dry drilling, so now we got dust. Um, is he exposed, and how much is he exposed to? That's where I would step in and say, okay, well, let's put some monitor, let's get a air, a personal sampling pump, and monitor for silica exposure, respirable silica, total dust, all those, all those things, to then quantify that to see, well, do we have an exposure, and if we do, do we have an exposure over any applicable OSHA regulations, any OSHA PELs. Um, so there is there there's a bit of duality. Um, I would definitely you know I wouldn't say if for any one company to have a safety professional and an industrial hygiene professional as one person. I would definitely say have them as two people because obviously two brains are better than one. Um, and what one might not know, the other may know, and you just bounce those the same idea off of each other, and not you know you bounce the same piece of clay back and forth. And each time you pass it back and forth, it's going to take a different shape until you get to that final form and come to a, some kind of resolution or solution to the said problem. Hmm.
1: What you described interestingly takes me to, uh takes me into a conversation about, again, the, 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 the topic, the basis of most conversations on this podcast is so how do industrial hygiene professionals view or, 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 or either view or have concern about workplace mental health? Mm-hmm. So, so from, from your perspective as an IH, you know, where does the, what is the discussion about, you know, mental health in the workplace come in?
2: You know, unfortunately, I, I would say this is where my lack of time in the field comes into play because I'm not sure of any if there is a conversation, um, I'd be willing, and it, I think it's a great topic that I might even ask, um, some of the older industrial hygienists that I know on it and say, what is our stance or perspective on psychosocial hazards or mental health in the workplace? Um, you know, just taking a a, a blind swing at it, you know, with all the type of monitoring that I've done, it's is that we always have some kind of tool to measure an exposure. We can uh, measure sound, we can measure heat, we can measure XYZ chemicals, we have direct reads, we can send uh, sample media off the labs. But I don't know of a way that we can monitor a work, a person's mental health or workplace safety in the workplace from that psychosocial standpoint. I mean, again, I'm just spitballing, throwing, tossing ideas. We got a piece of clay now. We got a piece of clay. I would say, you know, it could even be. Something as simple as a questionnaire. How are you feeling today? Not a questionnaire, but a conversation. How are you feeling today? How does you know um, this workplace incident happen? How does that? How did, how did you feel? How do you feel now? Um, how do you perceive uh, your coworkers uh, think about you? That those kind of things to kind of I didn't get, get a gauge on their comfortability or their safety. That would be my first approach. If somebody if somebody came to me at work and said, "Hey, we need to." figure out a way to uh, assess or evaluate people's mental health or psychosocial safety at the workplace. I would start with some kind of, I'm going to say questionnaire but I would start with some kind of questionnaire to kind of get an idea of, okay, where's this person at as far as their comfortability in the workplace?
1: Well, I'll, 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 I'll share with you this what you just described is the challenge again particularly we have here in the us because there are 30 countries around the world who require employers to treat psychosocial hazards the same way they would treat any other hazard they have the same responsibility to monitor for psychosocial hazards that they do for physical ones like too much noise (laughs) so so and this is, and and again, it's another of the points, the reasons why we have these conversations on the podcast is to get people thinking about if uh, a hazard is anything, anything that could potentially cause harm to people. So why would we not think that uh, how uh, the work environment itself or the the social setting at work or... Uh, the way that a person's job is designed would not have some potential uh, to expose a person to a psychosocial hazard. Why would we not think that? And I, and I think this is these conversations are an opportunity for all of us to think about what is it that we and again uh, uh, being in and out of the workplace as much as an industrial hygienist, someone in your role would be. You're going to see a lot of this. In some cases, I'm going to guess that you go to organizations who don't have a safety professional at all. They they call you because, well, we smell something or something happened. We don't know what it is. Can you come in and tell us what it is? And don't realize that uh, every... I have not found, and I, I haven't done the research on this, but this is a belief that I have and I'm kind of espousing it. But I do not believe that you can get physical harm that is not preceded by psychosocial harm. I I, I don't. don't, If you think about it, if a person is up on a roof and they're not, you know, don't have an anchor point, don't have any, you know, fall arrest, you know, equipment or anything, and they start to fall, the yelling, that's the psychosocial exposure that my brain is telling me this is going to be bad before they, you know... The terminal velocity brings them in contact with the ground. <laughs> it all starts with something in our head that says something even uh you know for our, our hearing conservation program people have a sense that that seems loud to me that there's something about that i I've told them to you know to turn that down I want to get away from it. there's something going on in their head often before they start to notice it you know my ear's been hurting or I, I'm getting this ringing in my ears. Our, our body is so interestingly made particularly where our brain functions that it knows that something out there is not right but what we've told people and what we've trained people and what we've almost you know forced people to do is turn off their feelings and wait until we get someone to come in and do some tests <laughs> to to find out that there's a problem when somebody sent something was wrong down the road and we could have stopped it then. We could have said, well, let's, you know, I know let's, let's kind of slow down on that and to talk about it a little bit more before we just dive into it. Now maybe we get some data to support whether we should or should not be doing it. So you see it, that's how I, uh, you know, how I see the connection.
2: Yeah. And, and then with, with that, I, uh, after you spoke at the IHA conference this past May, um, I thought about it and it's just, it's such a widespread thing, psychosocial hazards. It's everywhere. Like I think about it, once you kind of open my eyes to it, I said, well, well, shoot, that can happen in anybody's office, at any corner. It's not like, you know, uh, a big a big uh, industry for industrial hygiene that we go out and monitor it would be like manufacturing facilities. So you go out there and it's like a foundry. It's so, like, okay, well, obviously we have these exposures to the heat or if they're working with metals, you know, it's kind <clears> of <throat> cut and dry. At times, I mean, especially when I first started, uh, the last thing I was thinking about was, um, you know, are, are these folks feeling safe? And like, when I get to an office building, I'm just like, okay, well, we're just here to do an ACN, uh, a specific materials assessment or indoor environmental quality. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I wonder if, you know, how the, the, the actual workers are feeling. I said, well, they're, they're not in a foundry, so they, they must be okay.
0: Do you need more psych health and safety in your life? Then head over to the DX Academy for several free on-demand e-learning courses. If you're an internal professional, follow FlourishDX on Eventbrite to register for any of our free, fortnightly, interactive webinars. Our flagship professional practice program is also exclusively available for internal professionals. The 12 week course blends theory, applied practice, and interaction with other professionals through live lectures and a monthly community of practice session. Find out more about all these learning opportunities or inquire about a bespoke in-house training at the Flourish GX Academy, www.45,003.org. Now back to this episode.
1: Yeah. and, And think about that. You know, you just, you know, when you mentioned the office environment, there are, I don't, there's 150 or so million people, 155, 160 million people in the workforce, Uh. I don't know the percentage of those workers who work in foundries, but it's not big. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Uh, people work in all these different industries. And again, my honest belief is the one hazard that they are all exposed to is of a psychosocial nature to include in an office, uh, in a construction company, uh, commercial fishing log, you name it. It doesn't matter if a human is involved, whether they're there with, by themselves or with other people there is a potential for exposure to a psychosocial hazard. And at least the definition I uh, you know, developed in my research is <clears throat> a psychosocial hazard is a psychosocial factor that's perceived or experienced by the person exposed uh, as a threat that in turn affects their behavior. So it's the perception. It's the, I've been working in this building. This building is old. I wonder is as, as best as here. Just the wondering before the industrial hygienist is called the wondering well I, I'm not feeling very well I wonder is it is this a sick building there's these are things that are going through workers heads that sometimes they aren't they don't even feel uh safe to be able to bring up with the employer and, and, and sometimes they bring it up and the employer goes oh yeah let's let's have someone come in and check it out but that doesn't alleviate the fact that I'm still exposed to it right before Mr. Bogan shows up and does these samples about whether or not that's asbestos. I'm thinking I'm exposed to it. You see what I mean? So these are, I think this is an opportunity for us in all aspects of the safety profession to be thinking about this. And and I can I can tell you a, a bit of a shameless plug. Uh, I can do assessments for psychosocial hazards. It's not really hard, (laughs) but that's what you would say about testing for chemicals is I think that's complicated. Of course, you wouldn't say that because you know how to do it. So, but there are tools that are available and they're they're not complicated. It just depends on the organization's interest in this particular hazard. That's all because we, again, uh, there are places around the world who do this all the time. Now it, 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 A lot of it has only happened within the last, you know, two, three, four, five years. We've really gotten much better, particularly post-pandemic. Folks have been more focused on this topic. But I just believe, you know, I'm I'm evangelizing here and probably preaching to the choir. But uh, but these are things that I, I really believe we should all be thinking about because all of us who are anywhere connected with safety or public health or any of these types of things, we're going to come across it and be more aware than just the average person who's not thinking about safety all that much at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of good thoughts come and go, but it, it does seem like, uh, I've, I've been seeing a little bit more not direct hits to psychosocial hazards, but in like social media, you'll kind of start seeing, um, folks posting about, you know, toxic manage management, um, gaslighting all these other things and it's like you know these these are nods to psychosocial hazards um and it's just i I don't i don't think that folks making making the content know exactly that but it's you know it is like well if somebody pointed out that my wife for example um after i told her what your topics were she perked up and was just like oh that's great that's you know that and then from a couple things that she's been telling me from her past jobs like yes those are psychosocial hazards you were exposed to and um it's just like I Even say once you get the word out, it's 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 gonna be like a light bulb, things will start to connect, right, And right, and right. you know, even now, you know, to your point of you know, workers are not feel safe, you know, we have that now that I realized that. Um, if going on to doing a training, and I'll ask you guys have any questions about this topic, anything you know, what is it? And a lot of them will say, So, you want us to stop work if we think we are dealing with asbestos, and I say, Yes, you're not supposed to touch it, you don't want to um disturb it, you know, let your supervisor know, they'll let us know, we'll come out, we'll do our thing. And they all just kind of don't want to touch it. And I and at first I was, you know, what what you know, what was that? why did they hesitate? But now, I, you know, it's kind of clicks, says, oh, maybe they don't feel safe. Maybe they there's like yeah, as you <laughs> pointed out, that's this the psychosocial hazard. So there may even be room for growth or improvement there that would be an interesting, you know, I'm thinking will It's interesting for me to kind of delve into to see, well, why don't these guys feel
1: well? Yeah, you know,
2: and, and what comes up a lot
1: is the more common conversation that, that's that's happening more often. Again, we you know I I we mentioned a little bit about you know workplace mental health, but the concept of psychological safety. So this environment where it's okay to you know bring your whole self to work to be able to bring up your ideas and your thoughts without fear of you know kind of retribution from the organization. Uh, that is certainly a start it's a start to get people to feel like so after if you're doing a class on you know at what asbestos is and how it'll affect you uh, the class is nice but people uh, feeling safe enough to bring up the fact that they know where some asbestos might have been or or they know a situation that you really need to dig into that that's going on in people's heads and that culture is created by the organization it is and they people will look at, well, the last person who brought that up, you know, they don't work here anymore. You know, there's there, you know, there are these challenges sometimes between, you know, the management and workers. And some of it is more, again, perception of it is reality. Because if my last employer, you know, was really, you know, kind of dogmatic about that topic, I don't know whether this one is or not, but that's in my experience. So I may bring that to the new job, regardless to what the new employer is doing. That's why it's so important to have this kind of free and open to say, look, if you see something that you believe is a hazard, we'd like you to bring it up. So then we can do the testing. We can do what's necessary to make sure it's not. You'd rather have people assume that there is an issue. The way your brain works, your brain uh, picks out the negative things, the threats first, because those are the things that are going to hurt you. That's what your brain does. The amygdala fires up and says that might be a threat until you eliminate it as one. And sometimes the only way to eliminate it as one is to have an industrial hygienist come in and do the testing to make sure we don't have black mold or asbestos or you know, a chemical or whatever it might be. It is necessary so we can get someone definitive because, you know, again, uh, I believe that people, certainly in our profession, trust industrial hygienist because y'all have the education and the expertise and have all the fancy, you know, science kits. <laughs> and, and that, that is, well, okay. That, that, that gives me confidence that this hazard is actually not there and that can actually help me feel better at work because I, they came by, gave us that certificate. I feel better now. I can do better work.
2: There, it, it, you're, you know, you hit it, hit the nail on the head. Uh, people will, you know, will trust us because we're industrial. It's on a shirt. Trust me, I'm an industrial hygienist you know i gotta get I gotta get one next conference, but right. you know right. it's gonna be it's right there I'll start wearing it to work
1: right there you go or, or you go.
2: it's that and then it's a keep calm i'm industrial i am an industrial hygienist so it's if it's on a shirt, it must be true, right? it must be true. You know? <laughs> so so uh you you're
1: you're also a member of the american industrial hygiene association there's a, obviously there's an association for everything, but tell mm. me a little bit about the association.
2: Yeah, uh it's I mean, the name somewhat explains itself, but it, it is just a group that we're all the IHS in, in really the world and come together, we exchange we have these type of conversations. So it'll be going over uh what some some of the IHs do research, they will go over the research that they've done and what they found. Um it's a great uh place for the students to come together and they also present on their research. Um we'll have talks and Seminars and such about trending topics in the industry, things that historic things um, that are kind of repeating in history, new newer types of hazards that we're seeing throughout the year or in most recent years. Um, I mean, overall, great association. I've been a part member of it since 2018, uh, 2016 when I I started grad school. One of the things we had to do was join the association just just to kind of get us involved. and that's why i can say i've met a i've met a lot of good professional seasoned in, um industrial hygienists um through AIHA and um john Morris and being a cool Indian, being two of the the more notable ones in in on my mind uh great people um you know that's man there's just so much for a i h a too much um but again it's a it's a great outlet for, for any new or seasoned industrial agents, honestly. Um,
1: right. Right. Well, I, you know, and, and I also find it interesting. Uh, I, I understand that you're the immediate past chair of the minority special interest group of AIHA. So what's, what's that group all about?
2: So um, yeah, so past chair last year was my, my year um, and actually has a, bunch of special interest groups from local chapters in each state i haven't seen a state that doesn't have one yet um and then other special interest groups so like you mentioned minority special interest group there's a group that focuses on noise radiation anything you could be interested in they have it it's a group of folks like-minded folks so the minority special interest group uh, we are the group for for the minorities for anybody who may not have that group out there that's already established you know, come to the M- M- come to MCIC, and that's where we come in. We focus on a lot of the topics, uh, DEI, um, uh, how, how industrial hygiene, how that work field is, is focused on uh, Blacks in, in industrial hygiene, women, even though women have women industrial interest, special interest group, they have their own group. We focus on all the things that um, how, how IH impacts the minority groups. Um, we're a strong and growing group um, in Msig Right now, the ch- current chair, April Clayton, is doing a great job, doing a lot of collaborations. And really, she's got a lot of uh, irons in the fire with different kind of with other groups um, working on these external projects to kind of get their awareness out for industrial hygiene, and especially as it applies to minorities. Um, and that group, uh, I think they've, that group was started back in 2000, I want to say,
1: mm, it's um, but it's
2: yeah, it's been around for a while. It's got uh, a good alumni base, if you will. A lot of older industrial hygienists that have come through, whether as chairs or have come through that leadership group, and um, and uh, again, another great great subgroup within AIHA. Yeah, I, I you
1: know I, I, again, I am not surprised that there would be a group of this nature. Uh, a lot of the you know, safety profession or professions uh, have that there, there really is a need on uh, getting you know non-traditional because uh, you know the, the the truth of the matter is the the vast majority of our entire work infrastructure was designed predominantly by cisgender white males for the most part, and and that is. You know, and again, when, when I say that, I'm not saying that to be pejorative at all. That is just kind of the reality of how many things were created. The challenge is that any group, anything that's created by a particular group lacks a perspective about the group that they're not. And so you, you find that gets embedded in, you know, in the processes for testing, the standards that are established are established by one perspective. And. Sometimes they affect other people differently. Uh, men's and women's bodies are different. I mean, in terms of you know the uh, all, all kinds of things are different about them, and so chemicals affect male and female bodies different. They they, they do. So if the standard is set up to measure for exposure for a male, and the <laughs> the person being exposed to female, those things could be a little bit off, and and it's necessary to get folks involved that represent the cornucopia of different people on the planet. It's just really important. So it's, but it's got to start someplace. It's got to start someplace. Uh, And it's important to get different groups of people together to talk about how, how does this topic affect this group differently than it might affect the other group, whoever the other group might be.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, the only, you know, again, what's one of the things you, you kind of opened my eyes to was, who made this, these standards and how they apply and do they apply to everybody? Or they just take a general group and all that. And um, it is an interesting thing um, to even think about because, uh, and, and one thing I've seen is that in a lot of the situations I do same thing that it was mainly just a male dominated um, industry or fields whenever I went to a site and I remember I came across a woman working in, in one of these industries and I was just like, wait a minute, what's happening here? you know is, I, it does the sampling procedure change now or but I mean, it it doesn't but it is the fact that i had to kind of hesitate when i when it came when i came across it i i thought about it a little bit i was like, i wonder you know if if these if the OSHA Pels and all these other regulatory standards if they take that into account um and so it's it's just an interesting thing to even just draw draw your attention to it and and just think about you know um you know, it's, it's, it's just, again, it's just a great industry and. Right.
1: Right. um, Absolutely. And, and, and again, uh, it, I think it's important when we're having these conversations uh, that a lot of this is just about being curious. It's, you know, I, I, I think sometimes people don't aren't interested in having these kinds of conversations because they come across as, you know, accusatory or something. It's not that it's just curiosity because we, We we get we've gotten better as a species by people being curious. So hold it. This happened and then that happened. Should it be this or should it be something else? And somebody asking the question, those permissible exposure limits had to be designed by somebody. (laughs) They didn't just materialize some group of somebody sat down and says that it should be this or that, and they had to use a model, but they perhaps the a model that they didn't use might might have a different kind of reaction to whatever it is so it's it's worthy of having the que- having the discussion and asking the question about maybe we can do this differently and maybe even do it better when we just kind of open up our minds and think a little bit differently about things again not abandoning what got us to where we are but looking to build on that so it gets better and that, that's where I really enjoyed this conversation again with a someone who has a strong background expertise you know credentials and whatnot as an industrial hygienist that this new emerging conversation about psychosocial hazards and workplace mental health and all that it is still emerging we've got time to make this what we want to make it but we have to be curious about it or now we could dismiss it right off ah, that <clears throat> that's just not something that's important but I, I, I think we'd be missing out on an opportunity if we do that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, I was going to say, I this this was a great opportunity, and when not. When you first reached out for to, to have me on, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'll be honest. I was like, man, he's had such great professionals on here, seasoned folk. Do I really have enough thought to to make this a good discussion. And I was really rattled um, and I, I kind of took a step back, took a couple of breaths and, and thought about it. And I said, well, you know, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm at. And I realized that I don't know at all. And I look ahead to see, you know, where I can be. And I said, well, you know, these other folks have been here you know, 50 years in the in the industry, they have business owners. I must be on the right path. And I found I found peace in that. Yeah, I must be on the right path. You know, I'm, I'm on my way. So well, I, I want to thank you.
1: Sure, sure. It, <laughs> it, it, it is my pleasure. And, and again, I do have an ulterior motive. Uh, part of my ulterior motive, again, for bringing people onto this podcast who are not, again, the, you know, seasoned 40, 50 year people who will be getting out in the next couple of years, is that you are the present and the future of the industry. And the extent to which you start thinking about this and start applying the expertise that you already have in identifying hazards uh, and just having the conversation with you starts to, you know, starts to spark. Hmm, Maybe that is something we should think about. So, yeah, I, I, tr- trust me, it's 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 in, it's intentional because, you know, I, I believe that you, you and your generation and, and those that you're bringing up behind you. You all will be the one that' really are gonna gonna benefit from this and really be able to apply it I mean the United States is behind right now the, the other countries in the world but I think we can catch up quickly I do I do and one of the reasons I think we can catch up quickly is because a lot of them they've done a lot of this work we don't have to create this stuff from scratch we have to you know sometimes borrow and modify a little bit for our you know for our culture for our environment for the for the folks that we're dealing with but I think we can do this but it's going to take People, again, who are already smart and capable and curious to get interested. So that's that's part of it. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it was intentional. And oh, you're, you're, I wanted to talk to a hygienist. I'm certainly not one. <laughs> so I, And again, I know I, I, I appreciate you, you know, uh, accepting the invitation and, and, you know, sharing a bit with me and, and the audience about what industrial hygiene is, because I, I, trust me. I've learned a lot, and I don't think I'm the only one. I think there will be some other folks who go like, you know what? I, I didn't know there are people out there who did that stuff. And and perhaps uh there is someone out there who, you know, is in the particularly in the safety field, starts to understand that uh when we, I get this sense that there's something going on, I'm not really sure. These the a hygienist might be able to help me solve it's a problem. I just don't know what it is. Uh, a hygienist may be able to help me out of it. Just like from a psychosocial perspective, I may need to bring in a mental health professional. So it's the same, you know, type situation. But but, but again, uh, hats off to you and to your profession, uh, to your association for the work that you all are doing to not only make the workplace safer, but to make our communities safer places for folks to be. You know, we we're all in this together. That's the way I look at it. Mm, and any anything you'd like to share in closing as we uh wrap the conversation up?
2: Um no, honestly, I, my my little tidbit there was, was my my cherry on top. So I'm all that's all I had.
1: Right on, right on. Well well, thank thank you, Trino. Thank you for, again for taking the time to hang out with me. Um if you uh if you're watching this episode on the Flourish DX YouTube page. Please do like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Uh, If you're watching or listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome. I hope something you've heard uh, will cause you to come back in the future. Previous episodes of the podcast can be found at psychhealthandsafetyusa.com. And we certainly encourage you to become a part of the Psych Health and Safety USA movement by connecting to us on LinkedIn. We thank you for the gift of your time. And uh, can't wait to uh, see and hear you virtually. And again, these are recorded, so I can't really see you, but I've kind of seen you in my imagination. And uh, we can't wait to get you back next time on the next episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Thanks very much. Tune in each Friday for new episodes of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. If you have a story or know of one that needs to be told, reach out to us on LinkedIn or send an email to David at ID2-Solutions.com or go to the FlourishDX website at FlourishDX.com. We'll see you next time.